This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by George Sabonadier. Kia ora, George. Kia ora, Sam. Great to be here. Where are you, George? Uh, I'm out in the beautiful McAndrew Bay on the Otago Peninsula. It's very nice, especially now the road's yes. finished. Is the road finished? Oh, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, oh, they're doing a wee bit of work, but uh, but the stretch from my place out into town is all done now, so loving it. Indeed. Have you been biking? Uh, I've got, got out there a couple of times, yeah, not as much as I'd like to, but... And how was your bubble life? My bubble life was actually... Um, I'm one of those annoying people who loved lockdown. Uh, it was a it was a nice break um, from the hectic world. Um, I was fortunate enough to be out here in the bay uh, over lockdown with the family. So um, there were seven of us all cooped up in the house, but um, we managed to keep it together. So yeah, I think it was it was a a welcome opportunity to um, I suppose sit back and reflect a little bit. Uh, have a little bit of a think about you know um, where I was in life where I wanted to go um, and the bonus was that I was studying for um, my sort of first semester exams and all of those social distractions were completely removed from the picture so <laughs> lots of study <laughs> went on not a lot else you had no excuse is that your family exactly. of seven is that your family with seven people yeah, plus one straggler, um, a, a family friend from the UK who sort of got stuck here and um, ended up in our house with our crazy family. So, <laughs> so you're used to having nearly that many people in the house, but did it did it get tested with the the being yeah the cooped up? I, well, I, I think it was probably a good thing that um, that we had that sort of external moderator, um, <laughs> a sort of moderating <laughs> influence on the family, because we had to be on our best behaviour with the guests in the house. So, but no, it was good. Uh, we all sort of scurried off to our own corners to do work during the day, and then had some nice big family meals. So, yeah. And McAndrew Bay is a pretty nice place to be stuck. It is a pretty nice place. Yeah. Did you get out and do some walking with the the allowed staying local? Yeah, I did. Um, luckily, the the sort of local zone is a pretty beautiful spot um, going out across the, by the harbour. So, um, yeah, it's quite nice, actually, sort of stop and say hi to people on the way, um, you know, keep your distance. But, yeah, people were, were a lot happier to see each other than, <laughs> than normal. And what are you studying? I'm in my second year of a law degree, um, and I'm also doing a Bachelor of Arts majoring in philosophy, politics, and economics. Oh, so what are you hoping to do? Program. 
What are you hoping to do uh, with that? That's the tricky question, Sam. Um, I'll, I'll give you the. I bet the I'm not the first. Per- I bet I'm, I'm not, not the sure. first person to ask it, though. No, definitely not, and you won't be the last. Um, <laughs> I, I'd quite like to to stay true to my sort of community-based roots and, and do something um, in the community sector, or you know, I suppose bridging the gap between government and the community sector. That's sort of my happy place. Um, but at the moment, I'm just sort of enjoying the the educational side of it and seeing where that takes me. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah. So you've got, is it three more years? It's a double, is it? So it's more than that? Yeah, it'll be, yeah, three three plus, we'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Are you enjoying it? Yeah, loving it. Yep, it's full on, um, but it's definitely uh, a welcome challenge um, and an, an interesting new funny way of thinking about the world so yeah really enjoying it this year is a bit of a kind of um pressure cooker uh, all law papers all full year um kind of thing so you don't get much of a break but no it's good stuff how did the ugly word pivot go to learning online during lockdown um yeah it was it was a bit of a bumpy start i suppose um i think i was really impressed with the um, academic staff at the university, how they managed to figure everything out pretty quickly and um, kind of bend over backwards to try and still provide a, uh, a pretty pretty bloody good learning experience, all things considered. Um, yeah, I think the interesting thing was uh, in one of my papers last year, I had a an eight-person group project uh, worth 30% of our paper grade <laughs> done all over Zoom. And uh, I'd only met the other people in the group once in person. So that was quite uh, quite a, I suppose, a, a unique experience of, um, you know, getting to know people and working together and producing a kind of final product um, all in that sort of Zoom environment without the benefit of having known each other in advance. But it all worked out pretty well. So, yeah. Do you think you learned some skills in that exercise that experience that you might not have otherwise, not just the technical aspects of Zoom, but perhaps the the getting to know people when you can't yeah. just sort of sit around having that chat? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've, I've sort of read about this, um, particularly coming from the US, where obviously their experience of, of the whole kind of um, lockdown Zoom phenomena was, was a lot more intense than ours and, and a lot more long-lasting. Um, but I definitely felt uh that you had to sort of adapt to um different styles of mannerisms and um you know the way that you speak and i suppose even the way that you perceive yourself when you're communicating all through zoom and that's all sort of amplified when you're dealing with people that you don't know very well and are having to try and sort of stick to a schedule and make progress um through that so i i think i I wouldn't say that that what I learnt was just you know how to get along over Zoom, but I think actually learning something about people and about how I um, come across to others as well, um, especially in a kind of high pressure environment. It's always funny when you can see yourself uh, <laughs> as you're talking and interacting <laughs> with people, and everything beca- sort of comes under a bit of a microscope. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. It was it was interesting how much the it fluctuated from the people playing with the silly hats to playing with the backgrounds to then saying, well, actually, maybe I need a trick so that I'm not sitting here looking at myself. Yeah. 
exactly. Moving yeah, the window that, so then, that you can't see yourself, so you're not just sitting there watching yourself talk. Yeah, well, the novelty of of um, of the narcissism wore off a little bit, I think. <laughs> and I think most people got pretty sick of looking at themselves and, and hearing themselves after a while. So, yeah. So let's have your the first of your music tracks. Let's have Billy Joel of Vienna. Why this one? Uh, it's got a pretty um, pretty strong sentimental value for me. I, I did my gap year in Vienna um, after high school, uh, and that was obviously a pretty um, important developmental experience for me, being away from home on the other side of the world, foreign city, foreign language, and so on. Um, but it's also, I think, relevant now and, you know, in lockdown and coming out of lockdown as a young person um, because it basically talks about, you know, well, slow down, um, you've got plenty of life ahead of you you've got plenty of opportunities to do the things you want to do so i think listening to that um cooped up in lockdown was it was a nice sort of reminder of um not to get too frustrated that i couldn't get out there and do everything all at once but i think also now coming out of lockdown um when there's maybe a tendency to kind of compensate for that lost time and go all guns blazing it's just a sort of a a nice kind of sit back um and maybe just take things slow uh yeah i'd say that's that's pretty much why it's my song choice Take the phone off the hook and disappear for a while 
that you can get what you want Or you can just get old You're gonna kick off before you even get halfway through Ooh, why don't you realize Vienna waits for you When will you realize Vienna waits for you song saying that we should slow down because Vienna will come if we wait for it but you've actually been to Vienna that's pretty cool yeah exactly I mean I think um that that's the funny thing about it is is that uh not only is that kind of universal message of this is that you can sort of slow down and wait um for for um but also that was where I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be back um, traveling, having the gap year experience, being back in Vienna. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of nice to have that, the actual words saying Vienna waits for you. Because, um, of course, it will always be there and there will be um, slightly more normal times to return. It's going to be interesting to see how much we return to that sort of travel. C- clearly, yes. Clearly, during lockdown, we got quite used to the, the being in our own suburb. And, and lots of us said, well, maybe we don't need to be rushing around all over the country. But pretty quickly, yeah, we, I think... pretty quickly we did. And I wonder if the same thing's going to happen internationally. Yeah, well, I think there's there's two things I'd say to that. The first being that, um, that this kind of, uh, not only just within our own kind of local environs, but within the country itself, I think there has been a kind of renewed enthusiasm for exploring our backyard. Um, and, you know, I, I remember a few days ago, um, the the first of some of those great walks um, went up for, for bookings and it went out in a few seconds, I think, or a couple of minutes. Um, it was just totally swamped with people wanting to go out and, and do the great walks. Um so that's I think there's a yeah greater appreciation for where we are in the world and how lucky we are and, and actually maybe we should see some more of what's around us. But also I think uh, there's something greater at play, which is the the inequality around the world and the COVID response. Um, and obviously that's playing out with vaccines and and just resourcing in general health systems around the world. So I think that we'll see probably a, a big return to tourism and the um, sort of, uh, for want of a better term, first world countries or the sort of, um, you know, the US, Europe, um, parts of Asia. But I, I, I can see South America and Africa and, you know, Southeast Asia probably being left behind a little bit uh, because of that massive disparity. And that that's really a bit of a shame, I think. And hopefully those countries that in those places that do rely to some extent on tourism can find a niche for them that's more about slow tourism rather than popping Mm. over for a week. Maybe people will, of of all ages, start to consider things like gap years and and trying to make those sorts of things work. Yeah, well, I I think um, I've heard some people talk about the 
the lockdown is actually being um, a sort of opportunity around the world for people to uh, feel more connected to a kind of global reality, which is funny because, you know, we're, we're all locked away in our own country, <laughs> unable to leave. But I think there was a sense of, well, the whole world's going through something together and we can see it all playing out, you know, online um, with, you know, news from the States and from Europe and, and wherever else. Uh, so I think maybe there will be a, a greater sense of, um, I don't know, young people in particular might want to go out and actually, yeah, as you say, spend some time in places rather than do the classic kind of rapid fire, um, a city a day kind of style of tourism. It's going to be it's going to be interesting for your generation and a couple of years either side of you, because that's, of course, the the ages at which people are traveling and and are doing interesting things and and, and making big life decisions. But those are somewhat been put on hold. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got pretty lucky. I I got back um, in January last year. So right before everything kind of. Um, fell to pieces and um, I'm, I'm pretty happy now that I took the opportunity <laughs> while I was there to do as much and see as much as I could um, not knowing of course what was ahead but yeah I think you know my little brother has missed out on um, on having a an OE for the time being that he was planning to do I know plenty of other people who who were on their gap years while it happened and ended up you know <laughs> spending a lot of time um, inside not meeting very many people we're not experiencing much of the culture so yeah but I, I i have a sense that it will kind of all come out in the wash a bit you know i think yeah. um maybe people will be more inclined to uh in a, in a couple of years or something take a gap in the middle of their you know tertiary education um or maybe after they graduate take a bit of time to go and see the world before they jump into work i don't know i think um I don't think that the kind of irresistible draw of the outside world will kind of lose its allure because of this. Yeah. If anything, it'll enhance it. I work in professional practice and people who are in their careers have had quite a a major impact on the way that they think about their career, that they've been thinking about, well, this is, they've had to shift from this is what I do to this is the purpose of what I do. How we do it has has changed, and almost everybody has had to have a rethink about that. But it's led them back to that that purpose. Do you think that mm. for for younger people like yourself who haven't actually got to the workplace in that sense yet, do you think we're going to see something similar in terms of how people think about their careers? Yeah, I mean. I think it's hard to say because um, really there's simultaneously that I think there was that kind of that um, stop in your tracks, look around kind of effect of people who had been kind of, um, I guess, just kind of tripping their way through the career. Um, you know, every day goes by and you, and you never really stop to think, you know, where am I going with this or what's the purpose behind it? And so I think, you know, maybe that that is the reason behind it. Um, I mean, you'll know more about it than me obviously but but I imagine that it was that opportunity to stop and look at the bigger picture that that inspired that kind of purpose-based thought but I think on the other hand for young people um the sort of rising economic pressures um you know part of which is obviously a result of 
um, of the pandemic kind of pushes in the other direction. It pushes towards, well, you know, if you can get your hands on stable employment, then go for it. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> and I've seen yeah. that kind of mad scramble from people. Um, I, I mean, I, I interviewed for my first quote unquote real job in the last week of lockdown. Um, and I do remember the kind of overwhelming sense of relief because it felt like uh, I just sort of landed something in the middle of, um, you know, when it felt like the world was falling apart a bit or, or when it felt like maybe there weren't that many opportunities out there. It's a sort of run to the supermarket, grab the, all the toilet paper effects, you know, but in the job market, <laughs> <laughs> people reach for some bastion of security. And I think, yeah, those housing pressures and the student debt and, um, you know, rising cost of living and stuff is, maybe is not giving a lot of young people the luxury to think about their purpose. Um, as pessimistic as that may sound. So, um, yeah, that's that's a sort of, um, yeah, a, a different take on it. But I imagine those two things will, will butt against each other um, a little bit. So I know that you're working in community engagement. Do you think that the the pandemic has had a positive impact on how engaged communities are? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I saw that sort of play out in real time um, with, you know, working with the election last year. Uh, I think, first of all, there was a sense of, um, I, I really hate to say it, but the team of five million, uh, where everybody sort of thought, all right, well, you know, we're, we're going through this now. Um, we better stick together or, um, you know, we're not going to make it through. And so you saw some amazing community responses in terms of, uh, you know, people helping out um, sort of more vulnerable people with their, their shopping and uh, I guess just just having a little bit more of a uh, a collective outlook on things um, and, and more of a return to a sort of community focus, you know, both from physically being locked into our communities um, and sort of forced to interact with those around us. It's like what I was saying about people suddenly being way more friendly on the street. Um, but it's also that kind of national um you know sense of of community that that emerged out of it so but i mean in, in my work it was also i think driven a bit by panic uh people felt like um they didn't know what was happening they didn't know if they were safe uh and so having a community that you can identify with in this suddenly strange uh and scary world i think is quite a comforting feeling so yeah, we, I, th I think we saw community strengthen in a lot of ways through that. Do you think we might see a bit of a rebound from that? I, I know several people who have pretty much turned off the news, haven't haven't engaged with the news for several months because they were so engaged yeah. during the, the scary bits of the pandemic um, and so engaged with, you know, watching Ashley and... To send a show at one o'clock, but now it's it's like just I don't want to know. I just want to get on with my work. Well, I just want to get on with my life. Yeah, so I, I think that it was quite a kind of exhausting um, media environment, and and I think that that much fear uh, and that much uncertainty obviously drains people's emotional energy. Uh, and I think that, yeah, there, there's a bit of a rebound to, I suppose, willful ignorance about <laughs> what's happening in the world. Um, and I've definitely felt that. I mean, I my other job, I, I work in media um, and I, I do 
reports for um, Australian media. Uh, and so I'm obviously getting all of their COVID stuff, which is still um, going on a bit more intensely than it is over here. Uh, and even that sort of exhausts me, you know, looking at that every day and, and taking in so much information. Um, but, you know, I don't think that that's actually especially new to COVID. It might have been a um, more kind of condensed uh, and potent example of it. But I think that, that the information age and particularly my generation sort of growing up surrounded by technology, surrounded by information, spending hours a day looking at um, screens and taking stuff in, even when we don't realise it, is emotionally exhausting um, and has an effect on people's mental health. So I, I welcome um, this kind of move towards switching off a bit, um, you know, relaxing a little bit into the real world, quote unquote. You know, I'm, I'm not a, um, uh, a Luddite by any measure, <laughs> but I think that everything in moderation, you know, um, and yeah, I think that when we're seeing now kind of the result of a sort of um, a, a decade or more of the sort of spiral into um, constant information, constant connection, um, 24 hour news cycle being sort of fired at you along with social media and, and everybody's opinion on everything as well. Yeah. I wonder if the claims of fake news and the American president gave everybody such a scare of that overload that now we've come back to a sensible place. Maybe so. Um, I mean, from my perspective, I, I think that the kind of fake news scare um, was perhaps blown out of proportion in the response from, you know, conventional media. I think in, in terms of a, it was a defensive move from from mainstream media, if you will, um, because obviously Trump's attacks on, on fake news were an attempt to discredit um, actual journalism. But I think that the the kind of counter to that was was pointing out all this actual fake news, you know, these conspiracy theories and these wild um, kind of allegations that were just completely unfounded, you know, things like the, the American election being rigged and so on. Um, but I, I, I think actually that side of things um, was perhaps an exaggeration, I think. I mean, having gone out there as a, particularly in New Zealand, um, as an election worker and dealing with people in the community, you get a few people, obviously, who've um, who've drunk the Kool-Aid a bit, although, um, you know, they uh, have some kind of wild conspiracy theories in mind. But the, the vast majority of people believe in the, the media. Um, they, you know, believe in the integrity of, of journalism. Um, and so, yeah, I think that kind of, there was a little period of maybe... Um, panic or, or chaos in terms of trying to refute this idea that that everything around us was fake um, and that we were surrounded by misinformation when in reality I think the media actually stood pretty strong through the pandemic and through the elections and through the Trump era I think we saw some amazing journalism um, and and actually you know the the extent to which the public relied on the media during as a source of truth and um and I suppose 
feel in the loop and connected with other people is a testament to that, to the fact that, no, we haven't lost journalism. We haven't lost truth. This is not a post-truth society. Um, yeah, I don't mean to entirely downplay. I, I do think that there's a bit of, um, yeah, a, a, a slight overreaction to that. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou koutou. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, it was happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustained and illuminating for you each day. Who you are, the triumph of nature's perfect, unique and here better. Thank you. Now, I know that for us all, we have been through a very challenging time. And obviously for us here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we are in a state of unparalleled freedom. We can't look about all these things. But I personally feel that we are still in a state of deep recovery. We're still bearing the stress and the physiological strain of this global pandemic. And for many of us, including myself, we have loved ones all over the world. And for us as a species, and indeed as a living being, all life matters to us, all life connected to us, we are co-evolving with all life. So of course, feeling that our relations, our loved ones, our whanau, are at risk is very stressful for us all. So I really hope for you, you're finding ways it's time to relieve some of that stress and give yourself kindness and compassion, and show kindness and compassion to those around you. I know that when we are able to take a wee step back and, and see the big picture, of course what we can see is that as a species we love complexity and we love symbolism, we love metaphor. And of course more and more as we co-evolve with all life and we are presented with new metaphor, new symbolism, new ways of understanding who we are and what we can do. Of course, I'm so lucky to work at Otokanui Eco Sanctuary, my heart's home workplace. And this weekend we had a wonderful event, which I look forward to, you know, every few years, which is a wonderful lichen foray. So, of course, we were venturing out into the forest and it was a beautiful day. And we were meeting and greeting all of these symbiotic life forms, these, these fungi and these algae that have co-evolve to live together and support one another. The algae, the single cell plants, photosynthesizing and feeding the fungi and the fungi providing a beautiful framework for the photobiome, the, the algae to live within. And there are many different forms, of course, of lichen. There's the, the crustose lichen, which we often see and we'll think it's a coloration effect on a rock or a tree or the pavement or you know, any surface really, particularly smooth surface of the crustose lichen loves. And I loved hearing about today that, particularly in Autiporti Sunedin, where we are a volcanic crater, the crustose lichen will take on the volcanic iron, so it have a lovely orange appearance. And then foliose lichen, so looking, looking like it has ripples and waves and leaves, and, and it's so beautiful, it will send down these fungal hi-fi, these tendrils that will even go into rock and there were some beautiful photographs shown of the layers of rock and into which these fungal tendrils can descend and then my favorite which is fruticose lichen which has this amazing diversity of shapes and forms but really is like outstretched hands like pixie goblets 
these beautiful, beautiful shapes and uh, designs which mean that when the rain falls, the babies are splashed out, the spools are splashed out to grow somewhere new. So it was a really wonderful celebration of our living world for me and I, I just was so enriched by it. So I really hope for you, whatever's happening around you, particularly, of course, in the living world of which we're all a part, I hope that you're finding experiences which are nourishing your spirit, your wairua, your maori, your life force, and I hope that these experiences are drawing forth the best aspects of you that are helping to strengthen and support you as you move through the everyday in this new world that we're all journeying in together. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with George Sabonadier. George, we've seen lots of changes in society over the the past year or so. What do you think is going to stick? And more importantly, perhaps, what do you hope will stick? Yeah, I, I couldn't for the life of me tell you what will stick, Sam. <laughs> but what I really hope is that, um, that this sense of, um, I suppose, uh, the two go together, I think, mindfulness uh and um sense of uh sense of belonging and community and that kind of sense of calm that i think came with um kind of hunkering down with those close to us uh i I hope that those stick because i think uh it's quite a it's quite a high velocity world um you know there's this tendency across the board for people to get immersed in their daily um, troubles and their their work and their stress and so on. And we've got, you know, lots of um, problems with mental health uh, coming out of that. And as also with that kind of information overload I was talking about. So I think, I hope that, that what people gained in terms of um, taking a few deep breaths, uh, enjoying being present uh, and em- embracing those around us as, as a support um in life i hope that that's what sticks because for me that was the most valuable thing i got from the pandemic was was that slowdown that um kind of acceptance of the world as it is uh and learning to kind of just go with the flow a little bit more when we're taking those two those deep breaths people are talking about Various things, a, a reset or a rahui or various other things that all seem to start with R. What are you seeing as the the opportunity in that that reset, rebuild, regeneration? Where would you like there to be changes? Uh, well, I'll, I'll let the activist in me come out a little bit here. I think that it was um, fairly... Uh, I don't know, it was interesting to see um, how quickly we were able to grind everything to a halt, how quickly we were able to drastically change our lifestyles, um, how quickly we could kind of intervene in the economy, uh, how much money we could spend at such short notice uh, to address the pandemic, right? And and that was the appropriate response, and there was consensus on that, um, that actually this was... A threat and this was important and we had to nip it in the bud and throw everything at it um and so uh, this has been said by many people a lot more clued up than i am but i think we need to see uh that kind of urgency in responding to um pressures like climate change uh 
and even some of the kind of uh, geopolitical pressures around the world in terms of, you know, putting our foot down when it comes to, to human rights abuses and, and the rise of authoritarianism and so on. Um, so, yeah, I think that that kind of revealed what what a strong government and what a united society actually can achieve and how much people, you know, uh, pivot and alter their lifestyles to um, serve a, a collective goal. So I think, yeah, I, I, it kind of blew to pieces a lot of what we heard about what could and couldn't be done, um, what we could and couldn't afford as a society um, and, you know, who might get sort of lost in the process because we've come out we've come out pretty strong from what was a pretty, uh, an experience that shook us to the core, you know, um, and, and cost us a lot in terms of productivity. Um, and, you know, asked a lot of, a lot of people. So yeah, I, I, I would like to see that applied in other places where it's also needed. It's going to be difficult for anybody to argue that we can't do stuff when we're going to have yes. this to point to. But perhaps the other side of that coin is that we, for a long time, will be recovering from this. So there's, go there's, there's going to be that element of we can't do this because we spent it all on COVID. Yeah, um, and I have fairly little time for that argument because I think... Um, you know, there, there's been this kind of ongoing, um, I mean, it, it, it's this fear about uh, the debt that we're going to, uh, or the debt that's incurred and in recovering from disasters and so on has been, I think, used as a scapegoat um, plenty of times. And we've seen that actually there's not a hell of a lot of substance to that argument. I think uh, there was, I forget his name, but a, a prominent American economist um, who talked about the kind of um, hysteria after the Second World War in the United States about how much debt was incurred um, there and how, you know, generations of Americans and their grandchildren's grandchildren would be paying off the debt and would be crippled by it and so on. And, and after about a decade, um, you sort of stopped hearing about it and we kind of go, well, what happened to that now? Um, <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm not, not saying, obviously, that we can sort of just throw money around like there's no tomorrow. Um, and, and let inflation run rampant. But I think that, uh, you know, there is scope, I think, for a return to um, a fiscal policy which actually sees um, government as quite an important actor when it comes to, um, you know, chipping in to, to not only support people but actually to stimulate the economy and, and stop everything going pear-shaped when when nobody else sort of feels uh, confident enough to, to stump up the money. So I don't know. I, 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 I don't think that, um, I don't think that there's nothing to that argument that, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of money already and we need to do the work to recover from that. Um, but I think given a problem like climate change, for example, which has been around, um, what we, which we've known about for a long time and which is not going away in terms of being a threat, uh, I think th that's only an excuse up to a point. Let's squeeze in the second of your music choices. Let's have a Bettenberg Ithaca. Why this one? Uh, well, in short, it's just 
just a bit of a bop. Um, <laughs> but also, um, it, it's it's a sort of uh, it also has a bit of a flavour of nostalgia, um, like like Vienna does. You see a bit of a theme there. Um, but uh, it's quite a um, it's just a feel good song. It's got some great sounds in it. It's a South African group, Beatenberg, and it's sort of. Um, has some themes running through it about um, kind of returning to your roots and so on, which was definitely something I connected with, you know, coming back from this wild adventure overseas and then um, kind of going quite literally um, locked up at home for, <laughs> for months on end in my, in the little, little sleepy um, suburb that I grew up in. So yeah, no, it's, it's a great song.
and they didn't even sing about the Moosewood cookbook. <laughs> George, I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we shall have to rattle through them. What is All the right. biggest success you've had in the last year or two? Oh, best biggest success. Uh, I'm going to go for um, with the general election. We got an incredible youth turnout and we also got um, the biggest increase in youth enrolment um, in the Dunedin electorate, uh, biggest increase of, of any electorate in the country. Um, so my team of three uh, youth community workers um, sort of claimed the victory on that one. So happy with that. And hopefully once they're enrolled and engaged, they'll stay that way. Absolutely. It's a habit for life. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Oh, I didn't prepare for this one. Superpower. Um, mm, I, I I hesitate to, to claim any superpowers, Sam. <laughs> I think um, I have just had the benefit of uh, being immersed in um, in a really vibrant community. So I suppose my superpower would just be um, slightly cheesy, uh, being a community hero. You said you let the activist come out of you sometimes. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Well, I think we're all activists deep down, aren't we? Uh, but some of us push it a little bit harder or wear it on our sleeves a little bit more. I think in my role um, as a, you know, a public servant working in the community, um, I have to rein that in um, because obviously what comes first is just serving every um, person in the community, regardless of what sort of political views they may have or whatever. So it's sort of, it's been quite good for me, I think, to rein that in and keep my views a bit more to myself. Um, but yeah, I think that there's things in society that um, that could be better, and um, and we're very capable of making them better. So uh, I don't have much time for people who say that we, you know, um, it's too hard or too expensive or we can't be bothered. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, at the moment, there's not much getting me out of bed because it's bloody cold in Dunedin. But <laughs> no, I think um, it's it can be quite a, a tough job being out in the community, especially a lot of the way in um, not just the electoral system, but in getting their voice heard generally and getting out in the community. There's a lot of rejection and nobody likes rejection. Um, and I hated it when I started, you know, Nine times out of ten, the person you're talking to doesn't have any interest in it. But what I what really gets me going and gets me excited is those times where you really do get through and you connect. And, you know, it seems quite mundane, but someone filling out a, an enrollment form or, you know, learning about learning something about our, um, our system that they didn't know before uh, is actually a big step towards creating um, enfranchised citizens who feel empowered uh, and and young people actually yeah getting their voice represented um where it needs to be heard more so yeah that that's what kind of drives me the small ones so what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or two oh um i'm gonna go for just a a, a very um 
proximate one. Uh, in just over a week, I'm going to be heading up to Wellington for the Aspiring Leaders Forum, which is hosted um, at Parliament by a sort of mix of um, political and, and business leaders. So I'll be mixing with loads of um, pretty cool young people from around Aotearoa and hopefully, um, you know, some of that will rub off on me, <laughs> some of those cool people. Um, and yeah, just looking forward to the opportunity um, to hear about what Kaupapa other people are getting involved in and um, yeah, giving me the boost that I need in this kind of grey, sad winter that we're heading into. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Oh, um, yeah, I would say uh, there's a lot of talk, uh, particularly in the kind of community space and amongst youth and all that, the sort of leadership stuff, um, telling people to, to follow their passion. And for me, that was a very unhelpful advice um, because I never quite knew what my passion was. And I'm, I'm still not entirely sure because there's lots and lots of stuff that I find super interesting. And I'd probably rather be a jack of all trades and master of none. Um, because you get to always be trying new stuff. So I would say, I'm not saying don't follow your passion. If you've got one, absolutely go for it. But but if you find yourself dabbling in different places and heading in different directions and not kind of sticking with one thing and, and running with it, um, don't let that hold you back and don't think that you, you need to kind of, um, you know, eliminate everything and go down one path um, because there's loads of, opportunities and actually what we hopefully will learn from COVID is that we've got a lot of time um, and you know it's quite good to take a step back reevaluate maybe head in a new direction maybe that's another take on the be kind message absolutely dabbling and, is and okay another, too be kind to yourself be kind to yourself and dabble yes <laughs> what as as Billy Joel said in Vienna uh, where's the fire what's the hurry about George, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Sam. It's been great. Sound is ringing, they don't know what they're missing. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm. 
bags and got time to lay low Your knees are bending, so it's time to get up and let go with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Lone Digger by Caravan Palace. I'm Samuel Manasoy's Bailey and I have been joined by George Sabonadier in McAndrew Bay. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.